Okay, um, I'd like to invite you to look in front of you. There is a connection card in the pew uh, on the chair, back of the chair in front of you. And if you would take a little bit of time just to fill that out, give us whatever information you like. But know on the back, there are boxes you can check and there are ways in which you can communicate to us and uh, ask us any questions or any way we can be of, of service to you. While you're doing that, I'd just like to uh, mention a few things. Uh, one th we had a couple of men's things coming up in August. The first one coming up is a men's dinner. You'll see in your program of things coming up, uh, a men's dinner, Saturday, August 12th. Um, you don't have to bring food, but if you like to, just let us know, and it's nice for us to know if you're bringing something. But bring a friend, bring a relative, uh, just bring a, bring a, a guy to, to join in with the fellowship. But also something different on August 26th, we have a clay pigeon shooting uh, time. So um, this is something we do once in a while, and if you would like more information about that, that opportunity of uh, we use shotguns, we have a clay pigeon thrower, uh, we go shooting up in the Azusa Canyon area. There is a flyer in the foyer uh, at the Presco kiosk with more information. And uh, if you have any questions about that, you can call me. Other things, we, we know there's a single adult dinner tonight, uh, Young Marriage Fellowship at 2 p.m., and naturally we have lunch after service. So those are things to keep in mind. Lord bless you and hope the door opens up for you to participate in some of those things. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open up to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'd like to read a couple of verses there. And we're continuing on in our short time this morning because we have the Lord's Supper today. Uh, we'll have a, a message, uh, we're, we're really just going to skim the surface of, on a, of a, a part of David's life that um, there's some really, some really special things to learn uh, about the Lord and about ourselves in these, in these verses. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, let me just read two verses. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, read into the life of David and uh, read about how he responded to the world around him and how you responded to him, Father, uh, help us to apply this to our own lives. Help us understand you better and also how you see us and how we ourselves have to recognize our place in this world. So, Father, I pray, Father, you'll bless this time and uh, teach us all the message you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the prayers of many pastors, and I hope every pastor, is to keep from falling. You know, one of the things when you think about going into the ministry, there's a higher accountability. I remember I really thought about this a lot. When I really thought that God wanted me to go into the ministry, I thought about all these different ways I could fall morally and th different ways of... I could fall, and, and you know, when you're not a pastor, it's different, but as a pastor, you, you know it affects so much, and it's, it's, it's talking about even the, the name of the Lord. So uh, it really uh, was something I took very seriously. You know, my prayer has always been, Lord, just, just keep, me, um, keep me close to you, guard me, uh, uh, just uh, 
watch out for my weaknesses and the things that, uh, that I stupidly do. Because we all do stupid things, right? My kids don't like me to use that word. I don't know why. <laughs> but I, I, say it, I say it often about myself. And uh, uh, I have a tendency to, to make mistakes. You know, um, the temptation in the world around us uh, always has, gives us that opportunity to maybe do things or think things uh, or respond to our world in ways that are not pleasing to the Lord. We all fall on occasion, and there are countless reasons for it. Take, for example, uh, be it a word said in anger, maybe an off-limits click of our mouth. Or maybe that hotel souvenir that just kind of happens to slip into our pocket or our purse. You know, the temptation that snared David in the text we're about to read is looked upon in biblical history as just a notorious moral letdown. And, uh, but it's referred to many times because there's so many human lessons to be learned here. So we're going to get into that today. And um, in this short time, we'll look at David. And, and understand that David was not a perfect man. He was a flawed person, just like all of us are flawed. But God loved this man. He had a heart for the Lord. So let's go back to our text, 2 Samuel. Let's look at, at chapter 11, and let's look at the first three verses. In the spring at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? You know, in those days, defending one's kingdom and going off to war was just kind of a normal part of a king's duty. And it's always in the spring because during the rainy season in the winter, it's kind of agreed upon that the army is kind of rested and they refrained from going into battle with one another. And so when springtime came out, it was normal for the kings to lead their men into battle against their enemies. This particular spring, for whatever reason, David did not lead his army into battle, and he sent Joab, one of his generals. Thus, you can just picture this, while everyone else was gone, the palace was empty, it was just David and his servants. You know, when people hear about downtime, uh, maybe they ask you, maybe uh, when, when you graduate college, uh, you, you get out of school for the summer, you retire, Whatever it might be, where there's going to be a lot of downtime, people always ask that question, what are you going to do now? And one of the reasons why they ask that question is we all know that when we have a lot of free time, it's not always a good thing. When you think about it, kids get in a lot of mischief when there's nothing for them to do, and it's downtime. Think of your dog. When your dog is bored, what does he do? He starts chewing on your shoe, right? When you think about, about people and they have a lot of downtime, sometimes they, start, they, they do something that they normally wouldn't do when their mind is occupied. There's an old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. You ever hear that? 
I'm showing my age here. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. See, David was restless in bed. Warm summer night, you can picture how it does. No one else in the palace. He gets up and he just starts walking around, just, just kind of just, eh, just restlessness at night. And he goes up there on the roof of his, his palace. And he can see down below at all the different structures and buildings down there. And then off there, off to one part, he sees this woman out on her balcony in this warm summer evening, and she's taking a bath. Instead of moving on, instead of turning away, David just gazed and focused in, and he just filled his mind's eye with that image of her. And guys, we know that guys can be very visual. And that by that time, it was too late. See, in that split second, the early part, David had the chance to turn away, right? As soon as he saw her, he could have turned away. He could have had that, listened to that voice in his head saying, Stop it! Don't look! But he kept looking. He didn't turn away. It's kind of like what the prophet Isaiah wrote about the Israelites. He wrote these words, Your sins have hidden his face from you, so you will not hear. It's like if you cross that line where God is saying, you should stop, but you keep on going, that keeping on going kind of deafens your ears where you can't hear God anymore. Or you're, you're just kind of pushing, pushing him, his, his leading away. God in his wisdom tells us what? He says, resist the devil and he will flee. And why does he say that? Because we never know. We as, as, as followers of God, we never know when something is truly from the devil or Satan to try to trip us up or it's just part of our world and how things are. So, Because Paul reminds us all the time, we are in a battle. And so here, even in the time of, the, of, of, uh, of Jesus, Jesus says, resist the devil and he will flee because we are in that spiritual battle where there's nothing more than Satan would love to see you fall. Love to see you fall because when you fall, that means all the people who know who you are and they know that you're here on Sunday morning, it, it just takes a little bit of edge off of them. But why is that? Why did God say, or why did Jesus say, Resist the devil and he'll flee. How, why, how does that work? It works only because of God inside of us. That we, have, as believers, have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And God is stronger. God is greater than anything Satan or this world can tempt us with. He is. But there's a catch to it. We have to choose him at that right time. See, David, when he saw that, when he saw Bathsheba taking that bath, right at that time, if he had turned, God would have blessed him and helped him and given him that strength and just come to his, his side and say, good boy, David, you did it, and, and just help him to move on. But he didn't. See, God's never going to twist your arms to do anything, but he's always going to be there to offer his help, always. And he gives us free will. Free will is a wonderful thing. We love freedom, right? Our country fights for freedom. Free will is wonderful, but free will means responsibility. Paul wrote, don't quench the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, don't ignore him. Don't shut him up. In other words, there are times in our lives when we're about to say something, do something, even while we're thinking something that wouldn't be glorifying to God, we sense it inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit kind of telling us, back off, don't go that direction. And if we kind of push him aside, if we try to say, get out of here, I'm going to keep on going, you're quenching him like you're putting that cigarette out in the ashtray. You're quenching him, you're putting it out. That godly influence is, is being put out. For basically his inner voice, that inner voice inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit, is shouting, don't do it. Stop. See, David could have reacted in this situation like Joseph. If you guys know your Bible, Joseph, he, um, he was a servant in the house of this military leader named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife liked to play around. And Potiphar's wife got, had Joseph in a situation where, where they were both alone. And she said, come on, Joseph. Let's jump in the bed together. And Joseph just takes off. He didn't even say anything. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? He just says, whoa, he didn't say anything. He just ran. And she grabbed and she yanked off his part of his, his tunic. And then she accused him of uh, attacking her. But see, Joseph fled. He ran. He escaped the moment. He fled the temptation. He resisted the devil, as Jesus said. And because he did, that temptation was history. The window of opportunity to fall shut. But David didn't resist the devil. David didn't resist the temptation. He fell. Look at verse 4 through 5. Then David sent messages to get her. See, this is a king. He can say anything he wants. He can get anything he wants. But then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Even for a king, that is a nightmare. Let's go on. And this is a verse from Jesus recorded in John 8.34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, Jesus taught that everyone who sins is under the authority of under the power, under the influence of sin. So, and when we say sin, we're talking about a sin, a, 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 a tendency to sin. And so here, David, he, he just went after this woman, and David was under that influence to not even think about God. And he, he, he had an adulterous relationship with this woman. So Jesus says, anyone who sins is under that influence, under that that authority, and most likely will sin again. And you guys know how that is, right? Think about it. When you do something, and you do something so easily, and you get away with it, it's easy to do it again. Think about how you raise your kids, and your kids cross that line and do something. Once they do it one time, a lot of times it's easy to do it a second time, third time, because it's easier and easier, and next thing you know, it's a part of their regular life. That's a real bummer. But that's how sin works in our lives. When we surrender to temptation and whatever we do or say, 
unless we have a repentant heart, unless we have a heart that is remorseful after we fall, it's easy to fall again. See, in David's case, he didn't have that heart. In his fall led to an even greater one. Look at verse 14 to 15. We're taking the, uh, the abbreviated version of the story. Look at 14, or 15, 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line, for the fighting is fiercest. Then draw back from him, so he will be struck down and die. You understand this? Uriah is this woman's husband. He had the he had just the, the, the cold-heartedness to actually send the letter with Uriah to his commanding officer. And the commanding officer reads it, probably looking at Uriah and David saying, put him up front, back off. Make the, may this man be killed in doing that. See, to cover our sin, our sin of, of, of whatever it might be, we're willing to do a lot of different things. Why is that? Why, why did David do this? Pride? Maybe. Fear? Maybe. Self-preservation? See, all these things, we're, we're wired like David. We're wired. That's why God says what? Love your neighbor. To what degree? As yourself. We love ourselves. And we're willing to do a lot of things to benefit ourselves, to protect ourselves from the things that could embarrass us or make us or make us look differently than how we want people to see us. People, people flee to avoid punishment, isn't that right? That's how we have hit and runs. People lie to save face. Yeah? Little lies even. Just to make yourself look better or, or maybe to cover up something you did. People deny guilt to protect self-image. People cheat to get ahead of others. In this case, David murdered. But we know God sees all, right? Let's get into this. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. That's one of the basic scriptures in, in God's word. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 now. We're going to jump to the next chapter. And I just want to invite you that I don't have time this morning to get into it, but if this, if this story speaks to you, read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 25, and it spells out all in detail how God worked uh, in David's life here. So read those verses. But because of our time, I'm just going to summarize it. I'm going to bring out three main points. Number one, let's ask the question, how did God deal with David's fall? Look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. God sent Nathan the prophet to convict David of his sin. See, the, the Holy Spirit can and does reveal sin to us. The Holy Spirit in us can, can, 
can, can nudge us and, and, and prick us and, and, and rise our, or just make our conscience alive to something we did that is displeasing to God. But also, God can use others. God uses others to, to shed light on something that maybe we're trying to cover up or maybe even something that we've just pushed aside and just gone on in life. But God's saying, no, you've got to deal with this in your life. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What is that saying? That's saying that if you're truly a friend, if you really love someone and they're going on the wrong path, know that God can and many times does want you to go to that person and help them to see that area of weakness, that area where they fell, that area that displeases God. Because if you don't, it goes right back to what we studied already, where Jesus said, if you sin, you are under the influence of sin, and, you can, and it's easy to do it again. So God leads Nathan to, to, to David, to, to use Nathan to tell, tell David, hey, buddy, you've got a problem here. So are you willing to have that hard conversation with your friend or maybe even your daughter or your son or, or, or even your, your mother-in-law? <laughs> See, Nathan told David a story. It's a really neat story, so go back and read it. He tells him the story about this evil, heartless man and at the end... Nathan has, has David all riled up and saying, oh, this guy's a real, this guy's terrible. I want to put him to death. And then Nathan finally says at the end, you are that man. See, God may want you to bring light into the life of someone close to you. Number two, how does God hope we will react to sin? Look at, 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 at verse 12, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 13 of chapter 12. Verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, there are consequences to our acts when we disobey God or we go contrary to God's will. We can call it sin just for the simplicity of it. When there's sin, when we do something, that can injure someone or, or something that's contrary to what God is saying we, how we should live. There's a lot of times there's loss involved. There's embarrassment involved. There can be wounds that are made. In David's case, even death. Even death. But there will never be any, anything coming out of, of our, our, our sin, our wrongness, our mistake, our downfall, until... We see and realize that our sin is first against God. See, that's what David didn't scream out, Oh, I sinned against Uriah. Oh, I sinned against my kingdom. Oh, I sinned against my kingship. No, he said, I sinned against God. And that's where it begins. Because when David went before God with this heart, which we can call a repentant, remorseful heart, that's what God wants to see in us. 
And when we start with that, then the Holy Spirit will lead us to do what we need to do with everyone else around us that's involved in this. God will lead you and open doors and help you and even bless you as you deal with this in your life. But it must start with you understanding God is the one you sinned against. Let's go on to our last point. How does God react to our fall into temptation? How, when we do fall, and, and beloved, as we do, you know, I, I, was just, uh, I was just on the way here, I was talking to one of my, one of my daughters in the car, and I was saying, you know, I fall so often, I fall all the time. You know, I, 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 I'm always picking myself up. And one of the reasons why it's, forgiveness is so important is because that's how I know I have this relationship with God. It's, it's only because of what, what took place on that cross. But anyway, let's look at Matthew 18, 21, 22. How does God react to our fall into temptation? See, Peter came to Jesus and asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, he's not telling Peter, get your, get your counter out and just count it as it goes. No, he's basically saying, Peter, you don't stop forgiving. You keep on forgiving. You keep on forgiving. And see, that's the heart of God. God, when we had that remorseful, repentant heart, when we're saying, God, I understand, I see it now. I see that I blew it. God, forgive me. Help me to start fresh. Wants to hear that. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9 in there. For God used John to, to write this down. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that when we fall, when we do that thing, say those words, think those thoughts that we know God doesn't want, and we come and say, Lord, I'm sorry, man. Forgive me, Lord. You know, help, help me to, to move forward. God hits that reset button. And basically, he's saying to us, try it again. Come on, get up. Let's try it again. And now I know you're smarter and wiser. Try it again. Start moving forward. Now, David comes before the Lord with a remorseful heart and eventually after Nathan confronts him. Did David now live a life free of sin? Of course not. Not at all. But he learned and he grew in his understanding of God and himself. He got better and know that God was, 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 was grooming him even though he's king God had him in this process, as he has each one of us, to get better, to become more like Jesus Christ. Pretty simple. That's the Christian life. God just keeps on hitting that reset button just so we have that heart saying, Lord, I blew it, I'm sorry. I remember, I've sh I know I've shared this with you many times, but I met this, um, this missionary when I was uh, preparing to go to Brazil as a missionary. One of the missionaries, the guys I got to know, and he was a really neat guy, 
He's, uh, he's still in Italy right now, ministering. He has a street ministry in Milan. And uh, he said to me, you know, he just said in a really nonchalant way, eh, you know, you know how Christianity is. It's a series of new beginnings. And I said, yeah, that's true. That's what Christianity is. It's that series of new beginnings because God is always helping us get back up and keep moving forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the life of David as we can learn so much from this man's life that even though he is very human uh, in, in so many ways like us that we can relate to, we know that he had a heart for you and you have a special place in your heart for him. Thank you, Lord. Bless our time now as we move forward into the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name.